This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for real Aussie energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. What's the best thing about turning 60? Simple pleasures, Caro. Embrace them. No more trying to achieve, trying to acquire, trying to travel. Try, 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 try. I think if anyone ever has a problem and they take it to you, a problem shared really is a problem hub. So I hope you understand that. You're a very uplifting friend. There's this sort of unwritten rule among the security guards, it seems, that you don't invade people's privacy, which means there's a fair bit of shagging and nonsense going on in Parliament House. All in all, the footy was fantastic. There have been debates about the new rules and the AFL's bizarre decision to introduce a medical sub on the literal eve of the season. Extraordinary and weird. I think he overacts. <gasps> it's set in Paris. But no, I love Michelle Pfeiffer. It's a rather sad little comedy that completely jumps the shark, as my sister would say. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. everyone, welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger, episode 165. I'm Corey Perkin and I'm here with my friend and fellow potty, Caroline Wilson. G'day, Caro. Corey, a birthday podcast. It's a birthday podcast. It is so exciting to be sitting here on your birthday with Miss Jane, who has brought in the most beautiful treats, flowers from that garden, Miss Jane, and those custard thingies with my passion fruits all over it. And are they, Miss Jane? Custard James? thingies, they're profiteroles. Profiteroles with custard in the middle that just spilled all the way down my crumpling jacket, Jane. Um, are they, Miss Jane's homegrown tomatoes as well? They are. This was Jane's gift to me. She says that this is from a friend who has 125 varieties they put heirloom. me to shame. They're Tomatoes. a work of art. So, Janie, you couldn't have given me a lovely gift on this early morning birthday. And, um, yes, it's been uh, – the Festival of Corrie has kicked off well and truly, I have to say. But um, I want to tip off on a po- – t- kick off on a positive note. Um, we were talking the other day and you talked about how your children – or somebody said to you, get younger friends. Yes. Oh, in fact, it wasn't your children. It was a very wise old woman who's no longer with us. Yes, Dame Elizabeth Murdoch M- told me that. Make younger friends and um, and how – and you were also told to stay, make sure you have friends who lift you up. Correct. And collectively from all of us, Corrie, you are a very uplifting friend. But the best thing about you is that you are a wonderful, kind person and you're a great listener. I think if anyone ever has a problem and they take it to you, a problem shared really is a problem halved. So I hope you understand that. You're a very uplifting friend and you've been a great uplifting podcaster for a lot of people as well. So oh, that's so nice. It's Thank my you. great pleasure to wish you a very happy well, birthday. We're toasting each other with our coffees. And um, no, thank you, Caro. That's lovely. And it has been, um, a, a, I'm just on a wave of love at the moment. It's a bit like being a bride. No one says anything terrible about you on your birthday. No, no. The gym, they all the just gym say, girls, oh, we love you. And <laughs> the gym girls the other day, oh, yesterday, said, is Corey 60? Oh, look, we'll talk about no. that in a minute in housekeeping. Well, yes, well, there was a bit I received, of I received about a that. bit of correspondence about that. But mm. no, I'm really grateful mm. to be 60. I'll talk about that a little bit later But um, in six quick questions. But I did uh, want to say that, um, and I'm sure there are lots of people out there who have shared this experience in recent times. I had a little, uh, there are a couple of little gatherings that are happening with different friendship groups and stuff. And that's really lovely that it's all happened or happening. But I think one of the highlights was on Saturday, our entire family, babies included, all got together for a very long lunch on our deck, a leisurely lunch, babies in bed, toddlers off to bed, you know, waking up, bottles going, breastfeeding going, food, barbecue. And it was the first time that we had gathered since the end of 2019 as a family. And I think lots of people shared that extraordinary experience in recent times. So that was great, Carol. Hey, listen, there's been a lot happening, really. Another, yes. oh God, another week and another um, another appalling week of um, bad sexual misconduct stories coming out of Parliament House in Canberra. And still the Brit- this Brittany Higgins story resonates around the country with women and men 
advocating for what Brittany describes as a safer, more equitable Australia. Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, has been accused of misleading Parliament, a charge he denies. And a federal Liberal staffer we discovered earlier this week has been sacked for circulating a video of himself masturbating on a female Member of Parliament's desk. That so, came out of the blue, didn't it? On Wowza. Channel Ten on Monday night. Pretty Absolutely. good. And the Australian as well. They also did a great and job. Then, and then, and then followed up by the security guard on Four Corners. Oh wow! It's just ongoing. And but meanwhile, the rain continues to fall. So to all of our podcast listeners who live in New South Wales and Southern Queensland in particular, our hearts go out to you. We hope you're okay. Caro, thousands of people have been evacuated. There are, th- as I went to bed last night, 38 areas have been declared disaster zones in New South Wales. So we are thinking of you, gosh, Mother Nature, you know, to use that kind of old saying, when it rains, it pours. It's extraordinary, extraordinary. Um, So we're really thinking about them. But look, on a happier note, or maybe not if, um, well, I'm on a happier note because footy's back and the Hawks won. We're one for one, Caro. So are the Tigers. But for Hawthorne, that was a remarkable game. Yes, a disaster for my footy tips, but more more on that later. We'll talk more on that later. Now, Caro, any housekeeping or apologies or letters in our mailbag? Um, Oh, well, uh, can um, can I just make a um, comment about uh, well, Maureen McGee and her thoughts about you turning 60 because mm. I did think this was quite, this resonated with a lot of people. She's not really having a go at you, but she's just saying, Corrie, smarten up mm. is the way I would um, probably shorten it. She's saying that if you, if you are 60, you obviously look like 60. The comment in, in implies 60 should look like some negative idea people have. Like all adults, 60 can be so beautiful or a bit decrepit. Old is not ugly, unfortunate or not very beautiful. It's ageism and you are right to feel uncomfortable. I always reply, oh, is this what for me 76 looks like? They usually reply, oh, but... Yes, that's a very good idea. It's a good point, isn't it? And there was a potty whose name escapes me because I can't find the correspondence, but she said that I might be fishing for compliments when I mentioned to people that I'm 60 which I wonder possibly whether uh, whether I am. Maybe deep down I was. I don't know. I haven't analysed enough. Maybe, because I'm it was sure every point. time you say that you're 60, people go, no. Well, my mother had a thing, no. and when she turned 80, she told everybody because she said, I love the compliments at my age, you don't get any. So well, maybe she... subliminally I'm... You know, well, you're your mother's daughter in her. that way. You certainly don't <laughs> look it. And I just wanted to mention Oz Wonder Woman, who was a bit found it a bit disrespectful um, to the AFLW competition when we said footy's back. Look, we've talked about, we've mentioned AFLW. In fact, I was part of um, an Amazon documentary that's being made for next year. Um, one about Taylor Harris. In fact, a, a, about AFLW, more well, focusing on Taylor Harris. The Americans have put a lot of money into this, which is just extraordinary. And I have huge respect for what they've achieved, but it is not a competition that, you know, draws 50,000 people, which was a capacity yet. pretty much yet. On, yet on Thursday night to the MCG. And it's a major part of our fabric. So it is sort of a slightly different competition. The other one is still developing, AFLW, and it's it, what they've achieved this year and the improvement and the great games I've seen really, really make me positive about it. But we, we do respect it, but we love men's footy. Caro, we do indeed. Um, Caro, on Instagram, Chef Tony Tan acknowledged your recipe last week and he said, seriously, I'm staggered that you're including my eggplant dish because I didn't expect this. Thank you so much, says Tony. It's um, <laughs> um, and I think your goddaughter Alex made it apparently last week and absolutely loved it. It is the best recipe and it's absolute Good winner. Good to know. Oh, speaking, on, oh, speaking of food, I would like to just thank the anonymous birthday gift giver, who sent to the bookshop yesterday a Nutribullet. Oh, see, this is your. This is where you're very naughty. <laughs> someone, someone. Well, one one of my like kids Queen Mary said, you "Oh, know, you're a micro say, micro influencer." She likes something, and then she'd expect people to give it to her. I'm not Queen Mary. <laughs> I did not expect any. But there's no note in the box. I wonder anyway, if it's a Nutribullet company. No, because it's come from Target. I thought about that too. I thought, mm, new sponsorship potential for the podcast. Oh, speaking of post sponsors. Well, you'll oh love it. You'll gosh. love it, Cory. You will love it. No, sending out huge love to our sponsors, Red Energy, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas 
And of course, later today, we will be opening up the cocktail cabinet with our good friends at the Prince Wine Store. Um, my apologies, gang. I forgot to say how much we love you and we do. There was another Instagram um uh, Gus underscore Frankie underscore fam, um, you mentioned uh, Lisa Wilkinson um, the I other did. day, Carol. It's my crush. You did indeed. And they were very excited. I'm just calling it up now as we speak. Lisa Wilkinson, she left Channel 9 because she wanted to be paid the same as Carl. Given where we are, she has been absolutely consistent in her advocacy and worth of herself as well as others fantastic role model. So there was lots of applause there, Caro, for your crush of the week last week. Anything else that we have to discuss? I think we need to talk about Canberra, Corrie, because, I mean, even a year ago, the very words Canberra or Parliament House Canberra evoked an image of authority and centre of power and somewhere where the major decisions were made and good people worked. And I don't think you could say that now when you say Parliament House Canberra. You absolutely you absolutely can't say that when you say... Look, it's, uh, it's terrible to think. Uh, I think as Simon Birmingham said on the radio earlier today, it's terrible to think that people who would normally be feeling proud about arriving at work this morning... Uh, probably a slightly misty early autumn Canberra morning and they arrive at Parliament House, they may be feeling ashamed to be part of it. And that's terrible. It's our national institution. It should be the leadership, the highest, the best governance, the highest standard. And they've let us down and they are continuing to let us down. So the big revelation on Four Corners was obviously, I, I guess the headline is that the Prime Minister's explanation that um, the man, the accused rapist, alleged rapist, was um, sacked because of a security breach. Now we have the interview, explosive interview with the security guard, a woman who was working there on the night, who said, no, it wasn't a security breach. They were allowed in because, you know, they, they got ticked off. They had their passes, et cetera, et cetera. A horrible... They didn't have their passes. They didn't they, have their passes, yeah, but, they, but, they, but they, were they, able to, they were in the system. They were able to demonstrate oh. who they were. A horrible... Um, images were evoked of um, what went on and um, of Brittany Higgins when um, the security guard came up there later and what she saw on the sofa in that office. Corrie, um, to play devil's advocate for one minute, I just want to throw at you, and this is not my view, but the view of several women in their 80s who I really respect but don't agree with. A lot of women would have watched Four Corners on Monday night, older women and men, and said... I really hope that my daughter never goes into an office blind drunk at two o'clock in the morning with a man she's maybe not so sure about. Now, I think that's ridiculous and so unfair that you should be expected, you know, you should be expected to not do something stupid like that. She obviously, it's really regrettable that she got blind drunk and went to that office. What happened should not have happened if, in fact, what she says is true is true. And there seems to be some genuine evidence here. But um, there is a lot of that talk going around now in the old-fashioned view. What do you say to that? Caro, I would refer people to have a look at the Four Corners episode, which went to air on Monday night. Security guard Nicola Anderson, who's been working as a security guard at Parliament House for 10 years, was interviewed. And through her recollections of the evening, we also receive verification of that story and events as they happened, according to Brittany Higgins, from journalists Samantha Maiden and also Catherine Murphy, who's the chief political correspondent of The Guardian. And it is a compelling story about what actually happened. The Nicola, uh, Nicola recalls uh, this pair... Brittany Higgins and this gentleman arriving at the door. And as we said earlier, they didn't have their passes, so they had to be verified to come in. They did think it was a bit odd that it was 2am. Sometimes staffers forget or ministers forget things and they're back at 10 or 11 o'clock saying, I've just got to go to my office to get the whatever. But at 2am, something wasn't quite right. Particularly with the shoes anecdote. Exactly. Well, she as, as, as Brittany Higgins went through the security gate, she lost her footing on one of her shoes and fell over and she was stumbling to try and put her high, I imagine it was a high heel shoe or strappy shoe or something back on. And you know, that's not always easy, but that's when uh, Nicola, the security guard, realised how intoxicated she was. And she just became slightly 
absolutely aware. And so they checked on the office. The gentleman left 20 minutes later, rushing out the door, didn't engage with Nicola's colleague as he raced out the door. Um, the, apparently the security guard said, have a good night. And this chap just rushed off in a hurry. And then they thought, well, we better check on the woman because she hasn't left the room. Nicola, Nicola, the security guard, goes to the room, knocks, security, security, are you okay? And um, Brittany Higgins was naked on the on the floor, I understand. Did that part of the story rankle a bit with you? I mean, did you? I mean, I know the that sig- she didn't go in and say you're okay. Yeah, that she didn't or call you, someone to or, come and collect her. I, I found that. I mean, I'm not saying it was her job. But she, she said was, it wasn't but my she issue. She was asleep. She was passed out. To get back to you to the um, to the point that you asked earlier. How do women get into this situation? We know from the journalists uh, having interviewed Brittany and the backstory, they went drinking. Brittany had been on in this department for only a short time, a couple of weeks or a couple of months, I can't recall, and clearly wanting to get on with her mates. And then four of them peeled off and went to a nightclub. She had copious amounts to drink and she's the first to say that. And then as the, he said, look, I'll give you a lift home because he was worried about her safety because she was pretty smashed. And they've gone to Parliament House. Now, he has possibly said, I've got to go into the office and get something or whatever. I don't want to leave you in the car alone. I mean, who knows? But if I was Brittany and I realised I was intoxicated and a man says, I'm just, you know, like, why don't you come out of the, come with me rather than leave you alone in the car at 2am, I would probably have gone with him. Now... Who knows whether there was a promise of say? Like, who knows what actually went on between the two of them? Why would you have gone with him? I would have felt nervous being in the car alone in an empty car park at 2am. I would have been aware of my security. In Perhaps, Canberra? Really? Well, oh, look, you listen, can't I'm, say that. I'm not criticising I am no, not no, criticising No, I know her. we're playing devil's advocate here, yeah. but, but I know how I would have responded. I don't like being out at 2am on my own. I don't want to be in a car. And regardless of whether it's Canberra or it's Burke Street, Melbourne, I don't want to be alone in the dark. Maybe that was why. Who knows why she went with him? But perhaps she felt safer going with him. Well, boy, did that come asunder. So I think I think this Four Corners report is so interesting because we're not just hearing from the security guard, but we're hearing the backstory of Brittany as told to these journalists. And it's scary. And I think what's really interesting is that when Nicola knocks on the door and says, are you all right, security, security, and notices the naked woman, there's this sort of unwritten rule among the security guards, it seems, that you don't invade people's privacy, which means there's a fair bit of shagging and nonsense going on in Parliament House. Now, that to me was like a big take-home from last night. The security guard regrets that she didn't push it further. She went back later and so on, um, and Brittany Higgins left the building. But and I think she has remorse about that. But as she says, I was just following guidelines. We we not we know that we're not supposed to invade people's public, you know, private. Yes, but time. you walk into an often office and you see a naked, very young woman passed out on a sofa. I, you know, I'm I'm not sort of making. I'm not saying what I think he should have done, but I feel that something more should have been done than was done. And it's not her responsibility. It's certainly not her fault. Well, Absolutely I think, I, well, not. I think also... The, it just makes I think me feel a bit uncomfortable, well, and it, I don't think I would too. do that. Oh, no, it does me too. But let's just remember, Caro, that we're not working in a team of security guards. We, there are protocols. And as, she, as Nicola say, said last night on Four Corners, the team leader said to her, you need to pass on the information that you found this staffer naked in the minister's office. You need to pass this on to your relief as you're knocking off, and you need to be discreet and don't make it common knowledge. And Nicola says, I heard nothing more about this case until well, everything blew up three or four weeks ago. So the security guard checked a second time on Brittany and then Brittany left apparently at 10am the next morning and went home. Wow. It's a re- it is a really interesting scenario. I can, I, I can't, actually I cannot understand why people would think that Brittany shouldn't have been there. She was. She was intoxicated. How many women have found themselves? How many men, as well? Dare I say? I know. I look. Found I, I, I know. But, but I'm telling with you, a that is a view. That is a view with, of a lot of people. But with a predator because, who is manipulative. I mean, you know, I don't want to go too far down this track either for legal reasons. But, 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 but if this, but if this gentleman has 
has raped Brittany Higgins. He has been deliberate. He's a predator and he's manipulative. And so Lord knows what he said to her in the car. But the, the, and Lord the, the knows view, what he said to her. Let's go to the you know the minister's office. The view of um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm using age because I suppose um, you know women of my mother's age come from a different generation, and I'm just using my mother in terms of age. But there is a view that men cannot be trusted, and that women have to take responsibility because of that. Oh, this is like the first stone by Helen yeah, Garner. Exactly, it's that same argument. The younger view is that. Women should be able to do whatever they want. They should be allowed to go out and get blind drunk like men. They should be allowed to go to dangerous places, to beaches, to um, parts of the city, to nightclubs, wherever they want to on their own. To sit in a car park at 2am. Yeah, to do whatever they want and not expect anything to happen. There are two different views. I can understand both of them. And I just think it's fascinating how it, this is um, on age lines divided a lot of people. I, what happened to Brittany Higgins, as I say, there's a rule allegation still. But, you know, her, her, her version of events are completely shocking. And, yes, I've probably gone out and got drunk with older male colleagues as well. Thank heavens nothing like that ever happened to me. I mean, I don't recall ever going back to an office at 2 a.m. But, you know, we've, we've been lucky, I guess. But I've, to- I've told you a couple of stories that happened to me when I was a young journalist. Yep. Going yep. back to male yes. colleagues' houses. Yes. And goodness gracious me, I was I was lucky, Caro. You know, I went there because I thought I was part of the clan and we'd done night shift and that was all fine. And there were groups of men and it was all jolly. And But honestly, pff, like... One wrong turn, one wrong turn. So I think we've. I think this is why Brittany's story is resonating still so strongly. Um, I want to talk about her a little bit later, but um, yeah, it is an amazing thing. And what's really putting the 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 torch under the Prime Minister's tootsies at the moment is the fact that Senate Estimates Committee. It's the we, it's that particular week in Canberra. When, you know, as we know, it's an opportunity for the opposition and other members of parliament to question various heads of departments and ministers and so on. And of course, yesterday, Monday, was a debacle because in one hearing we had Rhys Kershaw, Commissioner of the Australian Federal Police, talking about uh, this report on the Brittany Higgins matter and that it had been dropped. And then we had Phil Gatians, I think is how we pronounce it, um, head of PM's. Uh, department, uh, who was also in another Senate Estimates Committee meeting at the same time, saying completely different story. So watch this space. Who's telling fibs? This is haunting the Morrison government. It's terrible. And will continue to haunt them. And, you know, I'm the, the one good thing that's come out of it is that it's awoken this sort of sleeping giant of emotion. Well, it was never sleeping, I guess, in women all around the country. Caro, let's go on to footy. Uh, it's back. There are talks of increasing the number of crowds. We can have the capacity for round two. I don't know if you, you'll have more news on that. And let's discuss some of the big stories. And, of course, just to tell potties to remind them it's not too late to join the Don't Shoot the Messenger footy tipping competition. Miss Jane, would you just like to remind us how we do that? All you have to do is head to tipping.sen.com.au. So that's the big competition. Great prizes up for grabs in the overall competition. And then just search for Don't Shoot the Messenger. Links in our show notes. Send me an email if you can't work it out. And if, <laughs> and if people have missed round one, do they pick up? I think you just get the away teams. The away teams, you right can pick up. But thanks to everyone who's joined because we've actually got dozens and dozens oh, of people. Oh, good on you, gang. Well, I hope you all tipped Hawthorne. You'll be doing very well. Caro, tell me, what, have, what are the big stories? Who are the winners and losers? And what are the emerging issues? The headline is that it was an unbelievably great round of footy. There was a few disappointing um, turnouts of supporters, but, you know, all in all, the footy was fantastic. There have been debates about the new rules and the AFL's bizarre decision to introduce a medical sub on the literal eve of the season after a meeting with 17 of the 18 coaches led by Alistair Clarkson. Extraordinary and weird. This um, monolith of an organisation that takes months to decide anything that is famous for kicking cans down the road and putting off big decisions and consulting and setting up committees, completely ignored every committee they've ever set up. And on the eve of the season said, we're going to introduce a medical sub. Um, It was going to be a concussion sub. They widened that. Not one player 
in fact, came off with concussion and was replaced by a concussion sub. There was only one concussion that happened during the weekend, and that was Jake Kelly, the Adelaide Crows player, who is Craig Kelly's son. He was hip and shouldered, as we know, by Patrick Dangerfield. But by the time he came off, Adelaide had already activated their sub. I don't like the rule. It's going to be rorted. But anyway, look, it was the MCG last Thursday night. It was a beautiful night. Richmond Carlton, unbelievable game. The noise, Corrie, the comparison with the year before, sitting in an empty stadium, which was one of the most eerie, bizarre bizarre things I have ever experienced compared to one year later. People said, isn't it a pity we couldn't get 100,000? Well, watching you know Peggy O'Neill unfurl not one but two premiership flags, all those Richmond heroes, including our friend Jan Richmond, who represented one of the premierships. I think it was um, 73. I can't remember. Um, so many Richmond greats. That was amazing. The game was amazing. The noise was amazing. And look, as I said to you, the upsets were the other big stories, specifically Adelaide, the wooden spooner, beating Geelong and Brisbane being beaten by Sydney and all those great young players. But the story that will go into this week is Patrick Dangerfield, mm. the Brownlow medalist who is now, you know, facing a two to three week suspension, is going to the tribunal, I'm absolutely certain will be suspended. President of the Players Association, a group that are looking at the moment, pushing for more funding into concussion and studies into concussion on the one side. And yet here he's done this non-deliberate act but very reckless act Mm. of hip and shouldering a young guy at high speed. So it's a really interesting debate that's going to continue. The concussion is going to be a major talking point all year. Also on Footy Classified, there was a bit of talk about Collingwood and so on. Just in in a nutshell, do you still think that they're going to have a terrible year? Will Nathan Buckley last the season? Well, this is a club at the crossroads. People think it's weird to be questioning his future when, you know, they made finals last year and actually won an unbelievable final against West Coast. But they've... They've shed so many players. They've had such a clean out because they'd botched their salary cap. They had a lot of issues. And I feel, look, I just feel that my view is that Nathan Buckley will probably end up working in the media, that he might be just a bit tired after all of the events of the last few years. But we'll see, Corrie. You know, so many things change. I think we'll see a few coaching changes this year. I still think we might see Alistair Clarkson at another club next year too. Can you stop saying that? Well, Corrie, you have a ter- you've had a terrible habit over 20 years of saying something and then it comes true. All these things. You start these rumours and then they become facts. All come to an end, Corrie. Is that your phone going off? Clarko. <laughs> Sorry. All, all no, it was a birthday call, which is, it was a birthday call, but it's actually come through on my laptop. I apologise about that, everybody. Alistair oh, Clarkson um, debuted a young man. It's Alistair Clarkson saying, happy birthday, Corrie. Uh, <laughs> debuted a young man as the uh, medical sub who didn't get on and yet who was celebrated for playing his first game. And other clubs have said they would never do that. They would never put a debutante in a vest who then didn't get a game, but the family comes, etc., etc. And when asked about it at the press conference on Monday, he made a joke of it, which shows me he feels uncomfortable about it as well. Anyway, okay, all right, watch this space. Uh, now it's time for the cocktail cabinet. Cocktail cabinet time with Miles Thompson of Prince Wine Store. G'day, Miles. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. I've been celebrating my birthday with some Prince Wine Store various bottles of wine. I've had a lovely time. Excellent. Wonderful. And we're going to talk, I think, today about a little bit of... uh, cocktail for Corey, I think, is the theme of today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what have you well, got? Sh- I guess, well, champagne, champagne first, as always. Oh, definitely um, on Corey's birthday. Absolutely. <laughs> what can you recommend, um, Miles? Y- yeah, so we have this wonderful champagne called Andre Clouet, um, and it's uh, it's from a town called Boozy, which is perfect. No. <laughs> <laughs> in in um, France, obviously, what, B-O-U-Z-Y? B-O-U-Z-Y, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, in, in, in Champagne, it's a very, very famous village for um, for Pinot in particular, and this, this Champagne is 100% Pinot, so really wonderful and soft and very easy to drink, which is wonderful. And what's its retail price? So it's normally $85, but because we're celebrating Corey's birthday, we're, we're doing it for $75 all this week. Oh, wow! And it's Andre yep. Clouet, is that how I pronounce it? Andre Clouet, that's right. 
champagne. Oh, oh Miles, everybody can join in the birthday fun. That oh, is very right. generous of you guys to do that. Now, Corey and birthday I have no fun by yourself, so. Corey and I are fascinated by um, your Australian Campari. The spirit scene in Australia is just really fantastic at the moment. There's just tons of really amazing people making awesome stuff. And there's a few Campari-style spirits out. And uh, this is probably one of the best. It's from a company called Portons in Sydney. They make really fantastic gin. Um, But this is their, their version of Campari, and it's called Imbroglio, which I think means like a big mess which is, refers to all the different herbs and bitter, bittering agents and things in it that make it taste bitter and sweet and, yeah, delicious. And, Sounds great. And tell us um, what it retails for and what it's called. So it's, it's $42, $42 a bottle. So it's, yeah, Poor Tom's Imbroglio. And, uh, look, you can use it just like Campari. So whether you want to do, you know, Campari and soda or make a Negroni from it, it's a little more delicate than Campari, but it's, it's just such a great drink. It's really wonderful. You know, Campari, you know, Imbroglio and soda is perfect. And you know my favourite cocktail of the summer, Corrie, was to drop a little bit of Campari, or in this case, poor Tom's Imbroglio, into a gin and tonic. A fantastic drink. Yeah, that's about the seventh favourite cocktail you've told me no, that you had all summer. No, I, think you just, I think you were the complete booze sound, it Carol. Was, it was a tip from, from December through to February. It was a tip from our friend Tanya, and it was an absolutely brilliant tip. Miles, that is brilliant. I love the sound of the champagne. I haven't heard of this one. No, that's a great oh, offer too. Good. And a really good price at $75, the Andre Clouet. Um, we've had some wonderful um, correspondents um, talking about favourite vineyards and wineries around Australia. Cool. Yeah, I'm interested to know, Miles, also if you have a favourite too, but we asked our potties a week or two ago whether they had any favourite winery or wine regions to travel to because none of us can go overseas or very far at the moment. And so we're all thinking travel local. Uh, Catherine Murray nominated Paul Mara wines in the Barossa for tasting with the owners as one of her favourite cellar door experiences. And NH469 on Insta said, recently visited Clare Valley. Gorgeous wines, in particular a wine called Good Catholic Girl. And Uli Finrust um, talked at mentioned Shaw and Smith, of course, in the Adelaide Hills. Um, we've had another suggestion of um, um, the wineries around Moonambel near Avoca, beautiful scenery, great food and wine. And Jude Tolly 19 says the best Riesling in the nation is in the Clare Valley. She also talks about the great accommodation in Watervale at Hughes Park Cottages. So many great places to visit. King Valley is another one. Geraldine Caddell mentions um, at Chrismont Wine has it all, dot wine has it all, wine, food and location. Clare Valley gets a few mentions. And Mandy, your friend Mandy Hardy-Grant via Insta says Ocean 8 Shoreham. Nothing on the Mornington Peninsula beats it. Yeah, that's very true. You Miles, a- if, if you had three, two or three days off, where would you go for a little wine tour? Yeah, well, I've got two sort of favourite places that, that I really like to go. One's in the Yarra Valley and that's uh, Medhurst. Um, it's just in a really beautiful spot and they have this wonderful uh, cellar door that sort of looks out over these really beautiful rolling hills. You drive up at the hill and sort of to, to get to it. it, it's really wonderful. And obviously, you know, what, what's the hour, hour, hour and 15 minutes away? Um, that's wonderful. And if I was going to go to Mornington Peninsula, uh, I think Polpera is probably one of the best spots in the peninsula. And mm. it, it's just spent. Agreed. It's fantastic. It's... And they have an amazing restaurant too. They yeah. do. Oh, Miles, thank you so much for joining us as ever. And remember, use the promo code MEWS at checkout online to receive our listener discount. You'll find links in the show notes. And Corrie, that is the cocktail cabinet for Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au and tell them that Caro and Corrie sent you. And thank you, Miles, for such a generous gift to our potties. My pleasure, my pleasure. Now, Corrie, it is time for Crush of the Week, and it's your turn to nominate your favourite person. It is. Thank you, Red Energy, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas. We've already spoken about her today, but Brittany Higgins is my crush. She probably is my ongoing crush. I've had a crush on her for about three or four weeks ever since she came forward and spoke publicly and on a couple of occasions so eloquently about events of a couple of years ago. She alleges that she was raped in a minister's, a federal minister's office and her story, has she has not wavered. The support for her is astounding. The men and women of Australia who have got behind her is 
I feel so incredibly proud. And as Sam Maiden, the journalist, said on Four Corners the other night, Brittany has put everything on the line, her whole life, her image and her reputation, but she has achieved something that hasn't been done before. And that something, Caro, is shining the light on bad behaviour and a toxic work culture in Canberra at Parliament House. So bravo. Keep up the good work Everyone, really, not just Brittany, but everybody who well, it's very, is advocating it's for very change. It's very brave, isn't it? Because you know, we spoke before about you know the, the naysayers and people of my mother's generation who have questioned her own behaviour and her own ethics, and she's really put herself out there, which is extraordinarily brave, really. I mean, people talk about Taylor Harris, the footballer, and that photo and the trolling and, and then her bravery and standing up and making a comment about them. That was, you know, pretty impressive. This is just stupendous bravery. Well, she's also... And will make such a difference. We saw her at the Women's March in Canberra last week, the unexpected speaker. She didn't anticipate speaking, but she was she was brought onto the stage and she felt compelled to speak, made a most fabulous speech. We know she has a lot of supporters, but by goodness, Cara, she also has a lot of people who are damning her, trolls and so on. Twitter is alive with anguish, so is Facebook and anger. So I just wanted to take this opportunity too to say to anybody, uh, any of our listeners, men or women who have felt that they need to chat with someone about these issues, don't forget Lifeline 131114. And of course, there is Beyond Blue 1300 224636. And you, you, even if you're worried about someone, you can always give those organisations a call and help ask them to help you pick your way through a difficult problem that a friend or a family member might be having. Now, Caro, on we go to book screen and food, BSF. And you have not one book, but two. Well, I've finally delved into the world of Madeline Sinjin. Is that how you pronounce it? It is, actually. Her She's related to Edward Sinjin, who was a politician, a New South Wales politician. What a fascinating story she is. Um, of, course, of course, her most famous novel, Ladies in Black, which was turned into the Bruce Beresford film recently, Women in Black, was the one I'd most heard of. But I found in my bookshelf over the summer The Essence of the Thing, which was, in fact, her only book that was nominated for a, the Booker Prize, which is an extraordinary achievement. Um, it's a fascinating little book, or it's probably probably a big book. It's a does it stand the test of time? It really does. It really does. I've, I mean, never, I've never read it. I have to say, she became she was you know in that university gang at Sydney University in the late fifties with Clive James, Bruce Beresford, Jermaine Greer. You know that very um, highfalutin gang, many of whom went to London. Um, she actually Bruce Beresford looked her up years later when he decided he wanted to make a film of Ladies in Black. And that, that he writes about this as a forward to the edition of Ladies in Black that I've got. But um, the essence of the thing is a story about a broken romance based in London. All of her novels, except for Ladies in Black, were based in London, where she moved, suffered dreadfully from emphysema and spent her last years on a breathing in, on a breathing apparatus living in a council flat, I think, in Notting Hill, and worked in a bookshop and decided while working at that bookshop, she was a brilliant student, but not so, any of her gang at university thought would go on to be a novelist herself. She decided that she could write better books than half the books she was selling at this bookshop. Could be like you, Corrie, although she didn't own her bookshop. And... Um, just, start, just watch this space, Mr. Kitten Goes to Town. Oh, <laughs> and greater things after that. Nothing wrong with kids' books, but you might write the great Australian novel one day, Corrie. Anyway, the essence of the thing is about a young couple who break up. Um, and it's basically, it, it's told in a series of vignettes. It's an unusual way of writing, but it's from the version of the woman who is left by the young man who who clearly has some serious emotional issues, but she has such a light touch, Madeline Sinjin. She doesn't delve into long conversations and great in-depth sort of analogies or she doesn't mince words at all. She tells it like it is, and apparently she was like that at university, like that growing up, like that with her friends, and ended a lot of friendships because of that. She could be 
quite um, – he could really put people down. Helen Trinker, the journalist, has written what, what looks like a fascinating biography of Madeleine Sinjin. But the essence of the thing is just a great read about a relationship and what goes wrong and the differences between women and men and the surrounding friendships. He writes that you almost feel she's up – in the roof or in the corner of the room observing. Ladies in Black is, as I said, her only novel that is based in Australia, based in Sydney. It could be George's curry, but it's in fact a well, mythical... Um, as you know, Carol, we, we were only allowed to wear black when we worked at the old George's. Exactly. And this, this is a, um, a mythical um, store basically based on David Jones in Sydney in the late 50s. It is just a wonderful historical look into a city and its retail at that time based around a group of different women, including the glamorous um, European migrant Magda, who runs um, the Ladies' Cocktail Lounge. It is look. It's and and the young girl who comes into work as an intern, who could be you, but in fact, I, I think is clearly Madeline as a young girl. It is absolutely brilliant. Her observations about Australian men and their dreadful behaviour resonate to this very day. And the wonderful, you know, camaraderie and opposite of women. I really, really recommend them both, and they are very easy but fabulous reads. Caro, both of them have been. Uh, made into text classics. This is an initiative by Text Publishing, the wonderful Melbourne-based publishing house that have taken some old, sometimes forgotten Australian classics and turned them into an inexpensive paperback series. I think they're twelve ninety five or twelve ninety nine from memory. The essence of the thing, uh, as you said, shortlisted for the Booker Prize in nineteen ninety seven. That's one of these. So, potties don't even have to find. $30 to buy this book. It's cheaper than that and available at good bookstores near you. Now, you also, you're on a roll, so tell me about your screen, French Exit. Bit disappointing, very oh, disappointing. Really? Um, oh, I was looking forward to this. It's got the title, it's got Michelle Pfeiffer playing a, a glamorous, ageing, fallen on hard times socialite who has an extraordinary backstory. She was nominated, as I said, for a Golden Globe. I've got to say I'm a little bit surprised. I think he overacts. <gasps> it's set in Paris, but apart from some, no, I love Michelle Pfeiffer. Apart from some lovely shots of the Seine and the Place de Vosges, you don't really feel as though you're in Paris. You're almost on the edge of Paris, which is part of the meaning of the film. It's a rather sad little comedy that completely jumps the shark, as my sister would say, when. Um, the, her cat, who she brings over from New York on an ocean liner when she moves to Paris with her absolutely aimless, hopeless but lovable son, played by that wonderful Lucas Hedges, who was in Manchester by the sea. He's a great actor. And um, anyway, the cat is, in her mind, her late husband reincarnated and starts to speak to her in a couple of seances Meow. with the voice of Tracy Letts. Now, oh, I, this is becoming a bit bizarre. It, it, it's sort of Woody Allen-esque-ish, you know. It's sort of that's what they've tried to achieve. And it is a sad comedy. It, it is very sad. And um, what their, their relationship is very sad. The script is very good. It could have been great. Um it just loses its way a bit, and and it's all the. She is someone who has never really cared about people. She's had led, led a very selfish existence, but when her son is born, all that changes. But then she rejects him too, and only picks him up at boarding school and takes him away from school completely. In fact, and makes him utterly dependent on her when he's about twelve. Um, by the time the film is set, he's in his early 30s. He, the, there's a lovely little performance by Imogen Poots, that lovely American actress who plays Lucas's, the son's fiance. It is a very strange film and it's got, sort of got a beautiful ending, Shades of Breakfast at Tiffany's, but oh no, I, I wouldn't bother. Oh, wow. I saw well, a much better one the next day, which I'll mention as part of the six quick questions. Okay, good o. Uh, righto, so I have a recipe. and Oh, uh, I'm looking forward to this one. So yesterday uh, the Festival of Corrie continued and my lovely Hardy Grant rep, Mandy, who has actually been on the podcast before as a guest. We love Mandy. And Hardy Grant publisher Julie Pinkham and myself went to lunch. They, the ladies took me to lunch, which was lovely. And uh, Mandy had a couple of little gifts for me, including a cookie or a biscuit that she had wrapped up for Julie and oh, myself. Is there anything in it or 
Okay. You, you said I was never allowed to talk about cookies anymore. Um, I'm not going to talk about them. Uh, but this cookie I had last night with my cup of tea while I was watching Four Corners, and it is absolutely delicious. And it's from the Smith & Daughters Deli in Fitzroy. Oh, they're the ones who... Um make food that looks like meat, but it's actually vegan. I've been they're, to this restaurant. Well, it, it's a deli. But they, They've got a, a deli com, as it's well. A, it's a completely vegan recipe, this one, although Mandy has a couple of uh, add-ons that she put in if you're not vegan. I'm not going to go through the whole recipe, but it's called Chocolate Chip Rosemary Cookies, and it's from one of their cookbooks. And Miss Jane, of course, will put the recipe on, uh, on the show notes. It was so light, and I think... Um, what what the um, what the gang from Smith and Daughters advise here in this recipe? They say we prefer to mix these cookies manually in a bowl so they don't get overworked. But feel free to use a freestanding electric mixer. Well, I, I don't know about you, but if I'm making cookies or melting moments or something, I always use my hands. I think that's a really good tip to do that. Anyway, there's lots of different things in it. But what I just wanted to pass on from Mandy is that she used unsalted butter and she did add one egg to this recipe. And she added just over a tablespoon of finely chopped rosemary. Um, you'd, but taste it. I would suggest you taste it. Now, I loved that was a heavy handed um, on, on Mandy's behalf with the rosemary because she loves rosemary and it would, the taste was fantastic. But actually in the recipe, it's a little less than that. And also, Mandy only cooked these for 15 minutes. I can't remember what the recipe says, but they were quite chewy, uh, almost like an almond macaroon inside. Now, you could go harder. I did say to Mandy last night, I hope she's not offended, I sent her an email saying, cookie was amazing. I do prefer a slightly um, crisper biscuit. You know how I love to burn a shortbread, Caro. Yes, I do. I do. <laughs> it was, I don't mean burnt, but it's just, I think, again, that's um, that's a, an individual thing. But this is a crackerjack cookie recipe. But what do recipe. Smith and Daughters use? Because um, they obviously can't use okay, butter so the in recipe, the original recipe. The recipe, uh, hang on, I've just got a... Um, must be oil, olive zoom oil, in on it, it? Because my eyes are actually... Um, turning 60. Um, they use light brown sugar. They use, uh, no, they use 150 grams of butter softened. They use vanilla. But butter's not vegan, is it? No, well, some butter can be. One teaspoon, no egg combined with three tablespoons of water. So I think is no egg uh, an egg substitute? Yes, it is, says Jane. And then you add extra virgin olive oil, plain flour, baking powder, teaspoon of salt, chopped rosemary leaves, one teaspoon, they say, but Mandy put in more of that, and 150 grams of chocolate chips. Absolutely delicious. Uh, are you allowed to eat butter if you are a vegan? No. No, and chocolate chips are more... Question cho- to the universe. Use Nutalex. Oh, right okay. You could use a butter substitute. Yeah, okay. And well, there's butter here Have in you the ever eaten at this restaurant? You order a, something that looks like prawns, but they're actually not real prawns. Oh, and really? And there's like with chicken, your head chicken legs and things that are in the shape of chicken legs, but they, it's, it is a very unusual restaurant. The food's great, but it's, yeah, not really my well, bag. Well, this, uh, this is from one of their cookbooks, Vegan Eat, which came out a couple of years ago. Of course, dare I say, it's a Hardy Grant book, but that's okay. I don't mind a bit, you know, them promoting their own, Mandy promoting her own product. Go for it. But it's a really good cookbook, this, and we have sold dozens and dozens of it because there are lots of vegan um uh, chefs out there who are looking for incredible recipes. So this is the book. And as I said, that will be on our show notes. That was BSF for Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131806 for Real Aussie Energy and the Melbourne-based base team will help you. Now, Caro, you are grumpy. I'm grumpy at John Burns. John Burns is an old friend of ours, Corrie, worked um, at 3AW as part of the top-rating breakfast show for well over three decades, probably closer to four decades, and as Ross Stevenson's sidekick for close to two decades. Um, he retired in inverted commas in July last year, um, replaced by Russell Howcroft. The show was really successful before he left. It continues to be successful after he's left. The ratings are still unbelievable. And at the start of this week, he, for some un- unknown reason, spoke out and said, I didn't resign. It wasn't my decision to leave. Management pushed me out. I haven't listened to 3AW since. I haven't listened to the show since. And I don't know why such a successful, and people keep saying to me, why was such a successful partnership broken up? I don't see why it had to happen. Now, 
It was a big That's thing a to sad. say, and it's. I'm. I'm not Why saying are you grumpy about that. Well, because I feel sad. But I'm grumpy that John decided to do that. Oh, you think you should just be dignified and not say anything? Well, he was well what into. What if you're pushed and you have post-traumatic stress he disorder? He was well into his seventies. He'd had a wonderful career. He had a brilliant send-off. They gave him a fantastic send-off. He nominated his own finish date about nine months out, eight months out. So he you know, had a bit of a farewell year up until July last year. The show continued to be great right up until the end. And sometimes isn't it better just to go out on a high? Well, I think it's best to go out on a high, but he, what he's saying is that the discussion which which was had was not his initiative. It was obviously management's. That might happen to you one day on Channel Nine, Caro. Are you going to be quiet for the rest of your life, but saying, I think, "Oh, I chose to leave television"? Maybe well, you'd be angry about it one day. Well, I think deep down, I, I don't. I don't think that will happen with me. I mean, I, mean, well, I just don't. <laughs> You've think got to leave happen. the party on a high. You know yeah. what I say? Yeah. Well, I, I think I think I'm pretty good at that. But anyway, I've just used that as an but, as but an I example. Think that, Everyone, not going anyone in, in the industry or in the know probably knew that, you know, management tapped him on the shoulder. But sometimes it's a bit of both. And I, I just think it's a, it's a pity sometimes not to be able to depart gracefully and a pity that they were such a great partnership and that now at the end he said, I'm not listening. I mean, mm. I can understand it would be tough, really tough to have someone else in your seat that you've held for so long. But... Yeah, I'm disappointed he did it. And oh. he's talked about wanting a job back in radio and he's oh, had a dear. few approaches. And look, maybe he will end up back in radio, but I thought it was unfortunate. Right. There you maybe go. he could come and visit us on the podcast. Now, you've got to kick off six quick questions for Red I do, Energy, and so I'll to, introduce it. Okay, I'm going to ask, what was the best thing about going back to the footy last Thursday night, <laughs> apart from the Tigers winning? Oh, that the coffee machine was back working in the press box? No, look, it was um, the best thing about going back to the footy was seeing people walking around the MCG. It's such a cliche, but just seeing so many people in their club colours, not even in the MCG, but walking into Yarra Park. It's been so long, Corrie. It was the last time it happened was grand final day back in 2019. That's, you know, more than 18 months ago. It is the heart of Melbourne. It is the centre of Melbourne in my view. And to think it's been empty, well, I know people have been there for the cricket, but in footy terms for all that time. And the fact that they came back in such massive numbers for both Thursday night and Friday night and the autumn weather it just reminded me again what a great city we live in. So a cliche, I know, but that was it. What's the best thing about turning 60? Simple pleasures, Caro. Embrace them. No more trying to achieve, trying to acquire, trying to travel, try, 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 try. Can't we travel again? We can, we can, but life is not so much driven by that stuff. And I think COVID had a huge impact on me in that regard. And I only thought about this upon turning 60, that in fact, I'm pretty comfortable with little tiny pleasures, little tiny pleasures. I I had a lovely walk yesterday on my own. And then met one of my, our friends, you know, whose name is Jane. There are many Janes in my life, and this is one of my dear Janes. And we had a chat for an hour. We had a whole agenda to cover, lots of laughs, a bit of serious chat, nice coffee too. And then I walked home and I thought, this is what it's all about, actually. This is a meaningful contact, not, not, not belting off to work. You know, I had, I've rostered myself off for the morning. I was just, I, that's, that's just. The way forward, Caro, for me. That's what I'm going to do. Caro, what has been your latest guilty pleasure? Okay, Sunday morning, I'd just been on the Offsiders. I was driving home and I noticed the Como Cinema. And I had my good frock on and full makeup because I'd just been on the telly. And I thought it was raining. I thought, I'm going to go to the movies. And I saw another movie, not French Exit, which I saw with my friend Sal the night before. And it was a really good movie. I went in for $16. I got a coffee, a movie ticket. They told me I had a $10 credit, so I bought two little party pies for $5 each. I hadn't had breakfast. I went into a cinema. It's almost my, as bad as us having profiteroles cooked by I Miss I went Jane into a cinema on my own with my two party pies and homemade chutney and a coffee in my good pink frock, which you've seen, full makeup. No one else came into the cinema. It was 11 o'clock in the rain. How good. 
I, I said if there, you saw Caroline Wilson last Sunday morning, I thought Sunday if anybody in comes in, yes, it was her. I took up four you seats. Were, you weren't going mad. It I was took her. up four seats, eating party I had pies. My bag, the party pies, the coffee on the other side, my cinema glasses. I saw a really good film that was called Crisis. Even though Army Hammer's in it and he's been completely discredited, he's very good in this film. Um, as is. Gary Oldman. It's a film about the pharmaceutical industry. It's got told from three different perspectives. It's really good. Crisis. But can you imagine a nicer morning? Uh, well, mine didn't involve a friend. I was completely on my own and very happy to be so. Anyway, I know you're looking a bit shocked. Corrie, what stands out as your haunting memory of lockdown on this first anniversary? Well, just as you had the memory of walking around MCG and seeing the crowds, which reminded you of how quiet and long last year was, I had this same moment yesterday. Bizarrely, I had six book deliveries. And I was in the car fighting the traffic, remembering this time last year, almost within a week, of driving around deserted streets, that first lockdown, that first week, and I had a permission slip from the government to be able to do so. But it was so desolate and so sad and so scary and weird. And driving around yesterday, I went straight back to a year ago in my head, just thinking, gosh, that was just, how did we do it? (laughs) How did we do it twice? I don't know. Anyway, that that, that the, the no traffic and no people on Melbourne streets, I think, is the standout haunting memory for me. Caro, why has Daniel Andrews falling down the stairs accident triggered so many rumours? I think it's mainly rumours spread by people who don't like him and, you know, people on the opposite side of politics. It's extraordinary. You know, um, people are still saying that Daniel Andrews was at Max Beck's house or Lindsay Fox's house and it had far too much to drink. Someone even said to me the other day that they were at a party and these people were saying, you know, he spoke about getting on the beers. He's obviously a big drinker and taking something from the top shelf. (laughs) I'm going, are you serious? He told people not to get on the beers and he said after, you know, however many days, eight weeks of lockdown, he might take a glass of something from the top shelf. To celebrate. Uh, Lindsay Fox has given interviews and said, I have not seen Daniel Andrews, you know, for four months. It is quite weird. I find it so I th- I think, look, weird. I mean, I can see why you don't like Daniel Andrews and you hate what he did last year and you blame him, in fact, for the quarantine stuff up. Certainly he was the premier. But when somebody has a shocking injury that's so bad that they might require back surgery and you're sort of suggesting that they were blind drunk at the home of a you know billionaire I just find that so strange mm. particularly when they obviously don't read I mean Lindsay Fox isn't going to come out and lie about it. it it's very odd very odd to me anyway Corrie one of our faves, Reese Witherspoon, turned 45 this week. What is your favourite Reese role? Well, you go back to Legally Blonde, don't you? Because she was hysterical and that was oh, really completely. her big debut, her completely. big Hollywood number. She shouldn't have done the the follow-up, can I just say. No, my favourite, Caro, is the role for which she won the 2006 Academy Award and that was Walk the Line where she played June Carter Cash, second wife of Johnny Cash, played brilliantly by Wacom Phoenix and I thought that Reese absolutely carried that movie in a new direction because Wacom was brilliant but he was very dark and very brooding and we know that Johnny Cash finished his life in a happier place with June by his side. And I think she just nailed that part. Nailed it. Well, certainly um, the Oscar voters thought so too. She was pretty good in the um, Leanne Moriarty series as well. Yes. In fact, Nicole Kidman, I Big think. Big Little Lies. Yeah, got nominated for everything, but I thought she completely yeah, stole the show. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, I can't believe she's 45. But look, there you go. We can't believe we're 60 and we are. Hooray, we're here. Now, everybody, thank you for listening. And please don't forget if you're on Apple iTunes to just click the five stars if you like us because it's a nice birthday present for me. But actually, it helps other people find our podcast if we have a good rating. So thank you to those who do. And of course, we love your feedback and comments. Please contact us. Feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au is our email address. We would love to thank our supporters, Red Energy, and of course, the Prince Wine Store. And thank you to Miles for joining us today. You can connect with us via Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And also, you can have the show notes delivered into your inbox each week. Just hit the sign up button on Facebook's, Facebook sorry, and it will come to you. Join our footy tipping competition by going to www.tipping.sen.com.au. 
and search for the Don't Shoot the Messenger competition and you can still jump in, as Miss Jane said earlier. Thank you, Miss Jane, for the beautiful gifts, the profiteroles, the flowers, and Janie, for just being you, the world's greatest producer. And Caro, thank you for being my very dear friend. And what do we say? Don't shoot the birthday girl. Thanks for listening to the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast, proudly supported by Red Energy. And we are thrilled to be partnering with Red Energy for our first podcast event of the year. You're invited to join Caro and Corey at the movies for an exclusive preview screening of the United States versus Billie Holiday on Thursday, the 22nd of April at 5.30pm for a 6pm screening at the Palace Cinema in the Como Centre in South Yarra. For details on how to book your ticket, check the link in the show notes for this episode or head to ballparkentertainment.com.au. Come to the movies with Corrie and Caro. Thanks to Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas.